Well, hey, everyone. I know this is kind of Thanksgiving weekend, so I know some people are out of town and are away. Hope you guys have had a good week and a good weekend. But my name's Grant, and I'm one of the pastors here at Restored. And over the last while, if you haven't been here, if this is your first time joining us, we've been in a series called Healthy Relationships, which we are about to end. And the gist of this has been that we looked at Jesus's great commandment, which is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. And we've fleshed that out and looked at what that looks like in our lives, to have healthy relationships and live healthy lives. So we've talked about loving like Jesus. Uh, in our GCs, I think particularly, we've gained a lot of tools that have helped us in our relationships to love and communicate and interact in the same way that Jesus would, or in a way in line with loving our neighbor in the way he calls us to. And then we've looked at healthy relationships with technology and healthy relationships at work and in marriage, and in parenting, and with our friends. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a tool found in John 15 that can help us to think and pray through some of the most important parts of our lives, some of our priorities, and to help us to live healthy lives. So that's what we're going to be doing today. But in 2018, um, Mark Wahlberg posted something to Instagram that made people lose their minds. Did, do any of you guys remember this? like a pretty big deal. Okay, Zach at the back, but Zach's on slides, so it doesn't really count. In 2018, Mark Wahlberg posted his daily routine to Instagram, and it was a doozy, guys. So I just wanted to share that with you as we start today. His day started at 2.30 a.m. with a little wake up. Uh, anyone else get up at 2.30 this morning? Okay, Wahlberg started at 2.30 so that he could have a prayer time for half an hour between 2.45 and 3.15. Then he thought he'd get into a little bit of brekkie, a bit of breakfast at 3.15 a.m., and then his first workout of the day. I repeat, first workout of the day. Then 5.30, he's having his post-workout meal, which means before most of us are awake in the morning, this dude is onto his second meal of the day. 6 a.m., he's got a shower. 7.30, he's getting into some golf, which is pretty nice. 8 a.m., snack, and then as you do, gets into the cryo chamber for recovery. For next slide, please, about an hour and a half, it seems. Good recovery time. Then some family time meetings and work calls, a bit of lunch at one, some more meetings and work calls. Then you pick up the kids from school, which is pretty nice. A little snack, big snack guy, a couple of snacks in here. Second workout, shower, dinner and family time. And then in 7.30 at night, Wahlberg would be asleep in bed. And I don't know what you think about when you see that. The first thing that comes to mind is I'm like, dude, just adjust it a little bit. Get up at 5 and go to bed at 10. Get up at 5 and go, surely 2.30 is not what you want to be doing with your life. But that's what he did. And then the second thing that I think of when I look at that is I just think to myself, you can see his priorities pretty clearly in there. You know, he starts the day with prayer, gets into a lot of snacks throughout the day. He works out a couple of times. Physical fitness is obviously important. And then family time and work. Those five things seem to be really important to him. So I looked up a couple of other famous people throughout history and what their priorities were. So I thought I'd share a little bit about Winston Churchill. Some of you guys might know this one. Churchill would get up at 7.30 in the morning and then stay in bed until 11, at which point he would get out to have a bit of a casual mid-morning bath. So I was sharing this with my wife, Michelle, and she said, Churchill is my spirit animal. Lying in bed until I bath at 11, that's her kind of thing. But at 7.30, he would wake up and he would uh, dictate some letters to his secretaries or assistants. He would have breakfast in bed, and he would do some work in bed for a few hours before he got into the bath. 
And then after that bath at 11, he'd walk outside, settle into work with a whiskey and soda. I don't know if you guys watched that movie, The Darkest Hour. There is a scene where you see him get out of bed. His assistant walks into the room and opens the blinds and lets the light in, hands him a cigar and a glass of whiskey, and that's how his day starts. It's kind of a wild thing. If you compare Wahlberg and his discipline to Churchill and his life, they're very, very different things. Uh, at one, Churchill would have lunch, and then he would play cards and backgammon with his wife. Uh, then he would get a bit of work done, and then at about five, he'd take a half an hour nap before getting into the evening activities, which was some eating, some drinking, some socializing, and time with friends. And then at 12 o'clock at night, he would read for an hour before going to bed. So that's Winston Churchill. I don't know if you guys know Anna Wintour, who's been kind of the editor-in-chief at Vogue since 1988. She's the person who Miranda Priestley's character in The Devil Wears Prada is based on. But I like this too. 6.45 in the morning, she'd play an hour of tennis. 7.45, she'd do like a hair blowout every single day, which Shell, again, really, really liked the idea of that. And then at nine, she'd be in the office. And then one last one, Steve Jobs reportedly, every morning he woke up when he woke up, and every day he would look in the mirror and ask himself this question, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And if the answer was no, enough days in a row, he would decide, I need to make some changes. I need to do something differently. And I share those because all of us in this room, we've got morning routines and daily routines and weekly routines. If you're not aware of what they are, it actually might be a good idea this week to just track them, like in a little note, just write down the things that you do and when and why. And the reason I bring this up is because of the compound interest of these things. It's like over time, the little things that we are doing are shaping us. They are building the life that we have and they are shaping who we are. Annie Dillard puts it better than I could when she said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And um, John Lennon, who I'm trying not to call John Legend because they're two very different guys, he said, uh, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And I think for so many of us, that's true. You know, we're living in the future. We're thinking about what we want to do, who we want to become, plans for down the line that we're not actually present in the moment thinking about what we're doing now or the life we're living now. And in a sense, we're kind of just burning this time and just burning this part of our life. So how are you spending your life? The big idea of today's message and really those quotes and those schedules is to think about, am I living the life I want to live? Or am I being the person that I want to be? Or am I being faithful to what God has called me to do? Or to use the language of the series, am I living a healthy life? at least in the way the Bible defines and describes it. And probably for all of us in this room, there are a few things that if we're honest with ourselves, that we should start or add to our lives to do this, and a few things we need to stop or cut out of our lives or remove if we wanted to do this. So specifically for you, what would those things be? In 2020, I remember studying uh, the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. I actually preached it in our one series that we did together during lockdown. And this passage really impacted me. Um, it says this in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is where Jesus quotes for, from the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road or during your daily commute. When you lie down and when you get up, when you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning, bind them as a sign on your hand and let there be a symbol on your forehead. 
Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And the vision here in this passage is of a life that is lived with God, lived loving God with all of who we are, lived in the love of God, and that's responding to Him. Kind of our, our axis is around Him in everything we do and in all that we are. And I love the beauty of that, and I want that kind of life. I really want that kind of life. So the question I started to ask myself is how? How do I do this? How do I get this kind of life? And that's really the answer I want to give you today, is I want to give you a way that we can practice this. It's called the rule of life. Some of you have probably looked at the the really fancy handout that was on your chair this morning. Uh, Others of you have probably seen it in the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, or maybe gone through it in your GC already. But a rule of life is something that has got a rich history in Christian tradition. It's been around since the fourth century. So for over 1,500 years, people have been living by this in all sorts of different streams of the church throughout church history. And a rule of life, I'll let Peter Scazzaro define it for us, is this. An intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with God and love Him. Maybe two more definitions. Ruth Haley Barton says, a rule of life seeks to respond to two questions. Who do I want to be and how do I want to live? And Stephen Mackey on his book on crafting a rule of life calls it, um, he says a rule of life is descriptive in that it articulates our intentions and identifies the ways in which we want to live. And Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, he says that he doesn't want us as his disciples just to be hearers of the word. He wants us to be doers. He wants us to put his word into practice, not just know it. And I think the church today is so guilty of this. We know a lot of stuff that we're not living out. We've got a lot of Bible information. We know a lot of Jesus' teaching that hasn't worked its way from our heads into our hearts and into our lives. So Jesus is calling us not just to know his word in ways, but to do it. Eugene Peterson, who's a pastoral hero of mine, speaks about this when he says, Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. And he's kind of quoting from John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, yeah, we love Jesus as the truth, but Jesus is the way, not so much. He quotes and says, Jesus is the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians with whom I have worked for 40 years as a North American pastor. That's pretty wild. 50 years of observing Christians ignoring the life that Jesus calls us to live in Him and with Him. So this is where a rule of life comes in. A a rule of life is a plan, an intentional conscious plan for us to respond to the truth of Jesus and live the way of Jesus in our ordinary, everyday, daily lives. And most of us in this room have already got a lot of plans, so this could sound intense or intimidating. Some of us have got financial plans. We've got a budget that we at least try and stick to. Or maybe you've got healthy eating plans or fitness plans so that you stay fit and strong and healthy. Maybe you've got plans for your kids' education or for your future, maybe 2024. You're planning vacations and what you're going to do, or maybe you've got a five-year plan for goals down the line. But we've got a bunch of these plans, whether we're sticking to them or not. But the question I'm asking today is, do we have a plan for how we live and abide in the love of God and with Him? Do we have a plan for how we respond to the truth of Jesus and live in the way of Jesus in our life? Now, I do think for some of us, 
you're not enjoying the word rule. And I get that. Uh, it's not the best word. It's not something in our culture I think we enjoy too much. So you might feel some like negative connotations or some hesitation around that word. I think some of us who are maybe more theologically minded, we hear the word rule and immediately there's like a red light that goes off. We're like, this sounds like works righteousness. Sounds like you're subverting the grace of God. This sounds like legalism or earning because that's just inside of us. We know it. And then some of us probably have this bent where we hear rule and we think, this is limiting me. This is stopping me from doing the things that we want. This is controlling and I don't want to be controlled. I want to be free. So we don't like it for either of those two reasons. I was thinking about that and I was thinking how ironic it is that in our culture, over the last couple of years, one of the most popular books, one of the best-selling books was called 12 Rules of Life. And when I looked that up just to make sure I was right, the subtitle is An Antidote to Chaos which made sense to me. I think the last couple of years, the last while has been kind of chaotic and kind of wild. It makes sense that some people are like, give me a rule, give me a way, give me some structure and order because life just feels out of control. And I think rather than inhibiting us, the rule of life that we're talking about today is to help us in this life. A rule of life isn't this legalistic set of do's and don'ts and it's not something that's meant to cut out our freedom. A rule of life is a set of guidelines that are designed to help us do the things we most want and most need to do. A rule of life helps us to clarify our deepest values and highest priorities, to focus on our most important relationships, and to define our calling and purpose, and then to look at in our schedules, in our calendars, how we actually live this out and do it. Andy Crouch says that a rule of life exists as a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives so that we can be who God has made us to be and we can enjoy the life that God has got for us to live. So that's what this is. Again, if you don't like the word rule, maybe rhythm of life or way of life is like a phrase that you'll prefer. That's absolutely fine. The word rule that like people have used throughout church history comes from this word regular, which was often used as a trellis that would support a vine in like a vineyard or something like that. This trellis would hold up the vine to protect it from flopping to the ground or being eaten by animals and would hold it up so that it could get light and that it could bear all the fruit that it was meant to bear. So for us, a rule of life is like a trellis for us to build our lives on, which for those of you who've been around church for any amount of time, probably know in John 15, Jesus calls us to abide in him. And this rule of life is a structure that helps us to do what Jesus has called us to do. Let's just read a few of those verses from John 15. Verse 4 and 5 say this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you abide in my love. And verse 11 says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what we're talking about today is a structure to help us to do what Jesus has called us to do, to abide in him and to abide in his love so that our lives may be full of his joy. That's what we're talking about today. One last quote. John Mark Comer says, what a trellis is to a vine, a rule of life is to abiding. 
to structure, in this case, a schedule and a set of practices to set up abiding as the central pursuit of your life. It's a way to organize all of your life around the practice of the presence of God, to work and rest and play and eat and drink and hang out with your friends and run errands and catch up on the news, all out of a place of deep, loving enjoyment of the Father's company, which I love, you know. That is what I want. I don't always know how to do that, and I don't always do that, but that is what I want. So how do we do that? One of the most important things I'm going to say today is that you already have one of these. You already have a rule of life, whether you think about it or not. You've already set this in place in your life. So what I'm talking about today is not starting something, uh, adding something new to your busy life. What, What we're talking about today is adjusting something that already exists in our life. We've already got a way of doing things because we are creatures of habit. So when I was preparing for today, I read this example. And this is a bit of a creepy one, but it's a good one. In the summer of 2008, a bunch of researchers from Boston, seemingly against people's will, used their uh, cell phone signals to track over 100,000 people and just their, their movements over a period of time. And what they found out is that all sorts of people seem to do the same things at the same time in the same places with almost this monotonous level of predictability. We're creatures of habit. And what I did is I went and I popped out of the office after I'd read that and I told Parker Brown, I was like, oh, you wouldn't believe this thing I just read. It's out of this nature journal from 2008. And he said to me, uh, oh, that's just like a Google timeline on Google Maps. And I was like, tell me more. This sounds like a good preaching illustration, Parker. I think I can use this. And he told me that he found this timeline feature on Google Maps that tracks you everywhere you go. And some of you are like, whoa, okay, I'm not going to throw my phone out after gathering today. That's a nightmare. But what he did is he found this, and what he did is he went onto his computer, onto Google Maps, and looked at where Google was showing him he'd been. And he was really excited. It's like showing him, oh, this is where I went yesterday and when. And he could look back over the last few days and see. And at first, Parker felt really excited about this until he realized that actually his life, his daily and weekly life, followed a rhythm. He wasn't super surprised by the things that he was doing because he was doing the same things at the same time on the same day with this level of predictability. And it's true for most of us, you know. What Google was showing Parker and what really we're talking about today is that we all already have a rule of life, a rhythm of life, a way of life that we're living according to. And as a pastor, I've seen this over the years. I've watched people like transition from one stage of life to another, from high school to university or a first job or dating someone or marriage or a first child or moving areas or moving countries or whatever it is. And these big changes disrupt our lives. We've got these deeply ingrained ways of doing things that when we change our lives or we move into a new stage of life, we feel uncomfortable and we feel like, I don't know, stressed out and we we have to adjust and change and it's hard because all of these things are so deeply ingrained into us. It's just the way that we do what we do. This, This rule of life is something that exists and we feel it when we go through a period of change. So today what we're doing is we're not talking about adding something new to our lives. We're talking about adjusting something that already exists so that we can live more aware of God and as more loving people and give time and focus to the priorities that God has called us to. So what are those things for you? What are those things for you? Before we get into the practical part of the sermon, I want to share two examples of rules of life with you. The first is from the Old Testament and the book of Daniel. 
And you can turn to Daniel 1 in your Bibles if you want. But just a little bit of context to Daniel's life. King Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled the Babylonian Empire, was the most powerful man in the world. And he led the most powerful armies in the world. And what he did is he went with his armies and he took over Jerusalem and he destroyed much of the city and took so many of the people of God back to Babylon to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. And he took some of the best young men from um, Jerusalem and he took them to work in his kingdom. And Daniel was one of those men along with some of his friends. And he finds himself all of a sudden in a foreign city. Uh, with a different language, with different people away from his family, away from his homeland, away from his culture, away from the food he's used to, all of these things in a new and hostile environment that is really anti-God and is anti-everything that he's grown up with and that he's known. And Daniel gets put in probably the best university in the world at that time, but he's being taught a whole bunch of things that are so different to what he would have grown up learning, just learning the literature and ways of the Babylonian people, and also being taught a whole bunch of things around mythology and astrology and sorcery and magic, a lot of the things that had been banned in Israel when he was growing up. And he had these pagan priests and these counselors who would be educating him in this every single day as he went to college. And Babylon had this real strong intention to destroy Daniel and all of the Israelites' distinctiveness as the people of God and to make them Babylonian. So Daniel finds himself in this really hostile place, alone, away from home, in this really strong, influential, formative environment. And the question is, how did he resist becoming Babylonian? How did he stay distinctive as one of the people of God in this really hard environment to continue in his faith? And the answer is that he lived by a rule of life. So let's look at two examples. One is an example of food, and one is an example of prayer. In Daniel 1 verse 5, it says this, The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. And in verse 8, it says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. And this seems pretty wild, especially in a kind of food city like San Diego. People want to go to good restaurants and eat good food and drink good drinks. And Daniel finds himself in the kingdom of the most influential and wealthy and powerful person in the world, able to eat what the king eats and drink what the king drinks every single day. This is like three Michelin star level stuff every day of your life. And Daniel realizes that if he does this, it's going to be one of the things that forms him more and more in a Babylonian way. So he says, you know what, I would actually rather give up that. I think I would probably do it for a few weeks and then make this decision. But he says up front, you know what, I'm going to forego that and eat a different meal because every single time I sit at the table for breakfast and lunch and dinner, and every time I pick up my knife and fork to eat my food, I want to be reminded of the fact that I am not Babylonian, that I'm distinct and different. I'm one of God's people. And every time he went into that banquet hall or wherever they ate with the king and with some of the most influential people in that kingdom, Daniel and his friends looked at their plates and they looked different. And they were reminded that they were different because they served a different king and they were part of a different kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the most powerful person to them. Yahweh was, God was. And they were in this kingdom, but they were actually part of a far greater kingdom. So three times a day around those meals, they were reminded of these things in this hostile Babylonian culture. Every time they ate, they were reminded of who they were and whose they were. 
because they needed to be. And secondly, when it comes to prayer, in Daniel 6 verse 10, it says, three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. And Daniel was practicing what in church tradition has been known as the daily office. Some of you would have heard about that in the Emotionally Healthy Relationship devotional we've kind of been going through over the last while. But the daily office was stopping morning, midday, and evening to pause and pray and be with God. Stop whatever you're doing to be aware of Him. And this had been a long-term prayer practice for Daniel. This wasn't something new he introduced. He'd always been doing this. But all of a sudden, he finds that praying to God is outlawed, and you can only pray to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel decides he is going to continue to pray to God. And what he did three times a day, with his window open facing Jerusalem, he got down on his hands and knees and he prayed because he wanted to remember where he was from and whose he was. So he thought, I come from Jerusalem, not Babylon. This is not my home. I'm part of God's kingdom and God's people. I'm not one of the people here. I serve a different God and a different kingdom in a different way. Three times a day, he was reminded of that. There's a quote by G.K. Chesterton that I really like. He says, you say grace or you pray before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime. This is a pretty cultured fancy guy, but you get what he's getting at here. I say grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. And I love that. He's talking about living a life where prayer is not a formality that we do before we eat meals, but where prayer and thanksgiving are marking our days. And not just before we eat, but before we get in the car or before we do something fun or or just throughout the day, taking these moments to be aware of God and respond to God and thank God in the ordinary. I think that's what Paul means where he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Now that's a, a wild thing, to pray all the time, nonstop. But really what I think Daniel and Paul and G.K. Chesterton are highlighting to us is that if we want to pray always everywhere, we need to think about praying somewhere sometimes. We need to actually put this into our schedule or schedule, however you want to say it, so that this becomes something that we do and can do more and more. I'm going to say schedule a lot more in the sermon, so just, just you wait, it's coming. Daniel had these six moments every day, six times a day where he stopped whatever he was doing, whether it was to eat or pray. And in those moments, his day was broken up by these reminders of who he was and whose he was, what he was living for and why. And you know what? I think this is the thing we need to hear in this example of Daniel's, is Daniel didn't do this because he was strong and disciplined and godly. He did this because he wasn't. Daniel needed these six touch points a day to remind himself of who he was, so that he could abide in the vine, so that he could be aware of God, so that he could be faithful to him in this hostile place. And you and I need these reminders too. Whatever they look like for us, these little breaks in the day to reorient our lives around Jesus so that we can respond to him and walk with him wherever we might find ourselves. So that's our first rule of life. The second rule of life I wanted to do is someone from our community. Um, So Jimmy Clark's been kind of living by one of these for the last six months or so. And I thought it would be kind of fun for him just to share a little bit about why he did this and how it's impacted his life to maybe encourage us a little bit as we think about this for ourselves. So can you make some noise for Jimmy as he comes up? He's looking really good today, you guys. This guy's looking ready to share. 
<laughs> um, Jimmy, thanks for being willing to share a little bit with us today about the stuff. Um, Jimmy's got a really beautiful story, which he's going to share with us a little bit now. But I guess, Jimmy, the first thing I wanted to ask you is why did you decide to experiment with this and put it in place in your life? Um, I wish I could tell you guys that it was just because I'm really awesome and came up with this and thought it was great. But honestly, a um, couple of the people that are like closest to me um, brought something to my attention and made me realize that I needed to make some changes. So a little bit about my background. I was a head football coach um, for the last couple of years on top of being a teacher. So what that looks like is about 20 hours to 25 hours a week on top of my job being away from my family. Um, and so when these people approached me and let me know, hey, man, like, it's kind of unhealthy what you're doing, um, it made me take a look at, at this rule of life and really uh, make some big changes. So maybe the first thing I'd love to hear is what is the, the big thing or some of the things that you stopped um, and cut out of your life? And then also what are some of the things you started and added to your life as part of this new rule? So, I mean, the obvious one uh, that I needed to cut out was I resigned from being a head football coach. Um, and for those of you that, like, do know me really well, it was, like, one of my biggest, like, dreams, I guess, in life was to be a head football coach um, of a high school football program and lead, like, young men in this sport. And I was able to, like, accomplish that at 35. So it was something I had, like, a very tight grip on, and I didn't want to let go of it. Um, but that was the thing that God was calling me to give up so that I could, like, lead my family well, um, have a relationship with him, and then have really good, like, friendships and stuff. So that's the, that the thing that I gave up was, was basically my dream, I guess you could say, at the time. Um, and then what I've, I implemented, well, I mean, it, it's freed up so much time and actually given me margin in my life, where before I felt like I was drowning in, in my relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with God. Um, it was just like the bare minimum. Everyone was getting, like, the bare minimum of me. So what I've been able to implement is, well, on Mondays or a day a week, I meet with a guy who may or may not share my same last name um, to, to be discipled and learn more about God um, and to vent and to pray with and to just like, just he's pouring into me and it's amazing. But I, like I have the time now to be able to do that. Um, we have an established date night that nothing gets in the way of except for like sick kids. No, not me and Grant, my wife and I, my wife and I. Um, we have a date night. Um, GC is not something that I'm like showing up to tired or with my mind wandering. I'm actually be able to be there, be engaged, um, help, you know, not necessarily be a leader, but try to, you know, lead conversations and help help the group forward. Um, there's time for my kids, established fun days of the week, right? Because as my kids get older, there's homework, there's there's activities, but now we like Saturday mornings, we're able to have fun and that's scheduled in there. So everything is you know, being a military guy, I like it. I like the, the discipline of it, so. <clears throat> and maybe for those who struggle more with discipline than you do, um, what has been like the benefit of this? What, what have you experienced over time as you've lived according to this way of life? Um, what have you experienced in your relationship with God or others or just in yourself? Yeah, the, the biggest thing that I've experienced is a deeper relationship with God. Um, I can actually, I have time to start my day with either CBR or now we're doing, you know, our day-by-day -day, um, devotionals from, from our GC. Whereas before I would be so exhausted that it was easy to just not do that, right? So now I start my day in the Word and that totally changes my approach on the entire day, whether that's 
um, a conflict at work, um, leading people at work, everything really. So um, the biggest thing, the benefit that I've seen is I'm growing in deeper relationship with God, with my wife and my kids, and then with with the GC and my in the community of the church, which before that stuff was very surface level or non-existent. So um, it's completely changed my life the last few months. Is there any encouragement you would give to someone listening to this today, whether this is a new idea to them or maybe they even feel a little bit resistant or reluctant to do something like this? Any encouragement from you about it? Um, you might be listening and, and thinking like, well, I don't have like this big thing that I need to give up. Um, I don't like I don't coach a sport or I don't do this thing that takes up five hours of my day every day. But I think if, if you if you listen to Grant today and you actually do this this back portion here and you write down your week, I think you'll find some things that you can, I'll just say you can give up, that you really don't need in your life. Um, it might seem like you do, but for you it could, be, it could be working extra hours at the office, it might be bringing work home, it could be video games, it could be social media, it could be you name it. Um, I think if you write it down and you take an honest look at your schedule, you'll see some things you can cut back on. And my encouragement would be that if you do that, what's waiting for you is like is Jesus and the ability to to experience him deeper and um and then that's going to out of that will flow healthier relationships fun times with people around you and there's not much better than that in my opinion so do it <laughs> thank you Jimmy i really appreciate you sharing today man it's I mean, it's a pretty big thing to come on stage and share vulnerably what Jimmy shared, that he cut something out of his life which was impacting his marriage and family and relationship with God himself in a huge way. Um, and to choose to give up what you called your dream because you wanted to be faithful to the things in the season that you know you need to prioritize. And I think if you do know Jimmy, you seem more peaceful. You know, you seem like um, joyful too, just in the things you're doing. So. I just want to honor you for the way you've pursued God in that, man. Um, I think as we look at the more practical part of crafting a rule of life, this is kind of like a life audit where we look a little bit over our lives and look at the things that maybe are missing and need to be added or the things that actually aren't helpful, aren't providing the fruit that we would desire in our lives or maybe the things that God is calling us to. So part of this is identifying the unhealthy parts of our life we want to remove and maybe some healthy things that we want to add. And just a few reminders about this before we get into the how-tos. Firstly, a, a rule of life is a means to an end. And the end is not a to-do list. The end is abiding in Jesus and abiding in his love and prioritizing the things that he's called us to. This is not about to-dos and checklists and tick boxes and things like this. Uh, it's about helping us to find ourselves more in God's presence. So the goal is not just doing the things that are on the list. The goal is putting things on the list to help us to be with him. Just a reminder, we're not doing these things to earn God's love. Another way of reframing this is we're doing these things because of God's love. For most of us in this room, we're probably not as aware of God's love and of his presence as we would like to be. So to become more aware, to abide in that, to live from that space, we're trying to put things in place which help us to be aware of his truth and his love. Secondly, this encompasses our whole way of life. I think for some of us in this room, we could hear this talk today and say, okay, so this means I need to do more spiritual things. 
And again, that wouldn't be what we're talking about today because our whole lives are connected. So the spiritual practices or habits or disciplines that we might do are connected to the whole rest of our lives. So you might hear Daniel's example and think, I want to stop six times a day or three times a day. And you set alarms on your phone to pray and be with God. But actually nothing else in your life changes. And this doesn't become a way of life because everything is connected here. So if you are wanting to grow in prayer and pray more throughout the day, that probably means that something else is going to have to go or adjust or change. You might have to have some conversations with some people so that you're able to do this sort of thing. But it means adjustment to our whole way of life, not just a few pieces in the day. So if you look at the rule of life template, which is on your chairs, you'll see a few things here. And this isn't something we're going to do in this room today. The idea is that you would take this home with you and prayerfully and thoughtfully start to look at this and fill this out a little bit and hopefully get it onto your schedules, schedules, or calendars. But the first thing would be to prayerfully and thoughtfully just look at this a little bit. Think this through. Secondly, start to draft your rule of life and fill in the different categories on the chart. One of the things with having like one page of paper, one piece of paper to do this in means you can't write too much stuff. You're limited in terms of what you put down. And on top of that, you're having to put language and concretize these ideas. Say, what do I value most? What are priorities? What do I need to cut out? And to actually give language and words to this. This helps us to clarify priorities and see where there might be room for growth. And something else we'll notice is that this is very personal. As we do this kind of thing, we'll realize that no two people in this room will have the same rule of life. This should be unique and tailored to us and our life and our stage of life. So thirdly, be specific. Don't write vague, general things down here. Be, be specific and concretize these things so that you know how you're doing them. And then fourthly, this may be the most important thing I say to some of you in the room today. This is very dependent on the stage or season of life that you're in. And for some of you right now, where you're at, your time is maxed out. Some of you in this room have got old or aged parents who are sick and need a lot of time and attention. Some of you have got young kids that have a lot of energy and need a lot of time or attention. Some of you are working really, really hard or working and studying and you don't have a lot of margin in your life or whatever your situation might be. And as we look at this, the gift of an exercise like this might be to realize Right now, my life is full, but I'm being faithful to what God has called me to in this season. It's intense, but I'm being faithful to what God has called me to in this season, even though it's demanding and draining and hard. It's still really good. For others, like Jimmy, maybe you realize, actually, there is something big in my life that I need to remove or cut out. I'm not being faithful to what I'm called to in this season. There's something that's getting in the way that I'm going to need to remove and adjust and change. And to prayerfully surrender that thing to God as an act of worship. And the fifth step is to try this out. Once we put this into our calendars and try and live according to this, the reality is after a few weeks to review it and just think, is this working or not? So if it's not working, we don't want to keep living by it. Probably like a common thing that will happen is we are too ambitious. We think we can do more than we can. We put more into this thing and we fail at it. And that's great because then we realize our limits and we realize our realities and we're able to cut back to make something that serves us. This is meant to be a gift to us that helps us to live our lives with God 
not a list of legalistic rules and requirements that makes us feel more guilty and shamed. So the last thing is be very gracious with yourself in this. If you feel bondage, if you feel weighed down, if you feel overwhelmed by this, adjust it, change it. This is there to serve us in abiding with Jesus. It's not meant to make us feel weighed down and overwhelmed at all. So I'll end with this quote and then we'll pray. The thoughtful arrangement of our daily and weekly calendar is one of the holiest endeavors you can put your hands to doing. Drafting a new schedule is tantamount to writing a whole new script for the next season of your life and deciding who you will become. Let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, as we speak about this today, my hope, I believe your hope, I think our hope, is that we would learn to abide in you more. Just thank you for your invitation and your call, Jesus, to abide in the vine. And I pray for each one of us, Spirit, that you would show us things that maybe need to be pruned from our lives, removed from our lives, and things that maybe need to be added. I pray you would guide us and give us wisdom in this. And I pray that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, to be able to put this in place and that we would become a church more and more and more that abides in you and in your love all of the time and knows the priorities of the season we're in and what we're called to do and does them faithfully. So I pray for your help in this, Jesus. Help us, lead us, guide us, show us, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that we would enter more and more into the life that is fully life, life and life to the full that you promise in yourself, that we would enjoy it and live it and experience it. And where we aren't now, that you would help us to find it. Amen. What we're talking about today is like practically ways that we can abide in Jesus's love. But what the gospel tells us is that if you are a Christian, if you've responded to him, if you've put your faith in him, we are always in Jesus and he is always in us. It's like the good news that we celebrate today as we come forward and eat the bread and drink the cup. We're being reminded of this truth that there is nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love of God. Just the reality for many of us is we are distracted from living in the love of God. So I want you to know today whether you feel convicted and challenged by this message today and maybe feel like I've failed at some of these things. There's a lot I need to change. Or whether you feel like you are thriving and crushing it at life. Your schedule's great. Your yearly plan is great. All of those things. Wherever you find yourself today, you are in the love of God. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And today as we come forward, we celebrate that. That there's nothing that we've done to bring ourselves into that place. It's all what Jesus has done. And today there's nothing that we do to keep ourselves in that place. But we want to become a people that more and more are aware of that. So as we come forward, if you feel any shame or guilt, leave that at the cross. If you've got any sin that you need to bring to Jesus, bring that to him today and celebrate who he is and what he's done. That we would leave here today as people who go to live out the reality that we are already in him and in his love and that today we want to experience it and enjoy it more. Um, I think that's what Grant talked about today is super important. Uh, whatever you want to call it, if it's a rule of life or a rhythm of life, um, it is true. Like how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And a lot of us, we have these big goals. We have these big ideas about, um, what we want our relationships to look like at the end of our life or in this series, you know, healthy relationships, emotional, healthy relationships in group. Um, and we often don't think about like, how do I actually live with people? Uh, what patterns do I have in my relationships? 
And we don't consider like, what, what's the outcome going to be? Does that make sense? Same thing with relationship with God. It's like, I want this thriving relationship with God. Well, what are you investing into that? Not much, but I don't know if Christianity is working for me. We're like, well, I mean, you, you don't, you know, you're not working on your Christianity. So like you don't really do, you know? And so, so often we, we don't give ourselves to certain things. We give ourselves to other things and we're shocked at the outcomes that we have. And, um, but I gotta say, man, it's like, it's wild. Like if you actually give yourself to something, um, you make progress in it, you know? And I know, um, Grant mentioned Jimmy, uh, has like, seems to have a lot more peace. It's funny. He called me, um, a couple days ago. He had like a, he had a question about schedule and stuff. And, and, um, and then on Thanksgiving, he came over, uh, that night, uh, him and Jess and, having a glass of wine on the patio and I, just, I was like bro I, I forgot to tell you this but like when you called me you sounded so happy like you sounded like you're full of joy man like i was like i was inspired listening to you talk to me on the phone like i just and he said man i just have so much margin to like enjoy my life and i think for a lot of us um we just miss that and we're looking for like a cheat code and we don't want to live in our limitations and it's crushing us as a society. We don't believe anyone has limitations. We need to care about everything all the time and be up to date on everything all the time. And we need to be making progress financially and physically and mentally and emotionally and relationally and, vo- and career wise. And, and man, it just never ends. Um, I was listening to, uh, uh this interview is with a clinical psychologist in New York city and he works with some of the most, uh, wealthy, powerful people in the world. And he said, um, I often will see clients once because I'll tell them, I can't help you if you're not going to make changes in your life. He said, what they want to do is work 70 hours a week and have a healthy marriage. And I said, I can't do it. They want to work 70 hours a week and be physically healthy and not have embodied physio- you know, stress showing up physiologically. He said, the only way is if you make changes. He said, they want a cheat code. They want a pill or they want a, a, a quick fix tool. And he's like, the only way to have a good marriage is to be present to a spouse. <laughs> the only way to get physically healthy is to exercise and sleep <laughs> and eat good food and rest. And so I um, just want to challenge you, uh, man, making these changes is worth it. And the last thing I'll say is just anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. And so, man, like maybe you shoot to spend 10 minutes a day in prayer, you know, silence, and you, you hit two days a week. That's better than the, the zero. Like the compound interest of small changes is much bigger than one big change. So I want to challenge you to ask the spirit of God this week, you know, what, what's a change? Even as you felt that rule of life, what's a change or two that I could try and experiment with and see what God does. Go ahead and pray. Father, would you allow us to, um, accept our limitations as finite humans we live in a world, even all the technology is designed, uh, so much of it's designed and the stuff that's being looked at is basically designed to help us learn how to not be human. We're going to cure death. We're going to know everything all the time. We're going to be essentially everywhere all the time. We want to travel in minutes, what used to take hours or days. And, 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 and so much of what we're trying to solve is us. It's, we're trying to solve, solve the problem of our finiteness, our limitations. But actually, you designed us. Um, limitations are not a part of the fall. Us being, not being God is not a part of the fall. Us trying to be God is why the fall happens. And so Lord, would you allow us to live faithful lives in the sphere that you have given us? Will we love our families well and our neighbors well and our coworkers well? 
and most importantly, love you well and receive your love. Will we give ourselves daily to these things? And then we end up with a life of love, a life of beautiful, healthy relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.